All right, welcome to the Colin and Samir show and this episode of Creator Support. Colin, what are we talking about? Today, we're going to be talking about our four predictions for the creator economy, what it was like to spend time with legendary creator Mark Rober. We're going to be talking about AdSense. Is it actually a reliable source of revenue? We're going to touch on our thoughts on Kanye West, data on our shrinking attention spans, and how to create when you don't have much time. We're talking about a lot today. Talking about a lot. It's a good one. Yeah, it's it's a lot. So definitely buckle up. Hope you guys enjoy this one. And before we get into it, what Colin just mentioned about our predictions, we made a report about four predictions for the future of the creator economy. We're going to be talking about that at the top of the show. It's through our newsletter, The Published Press. Check that out. The link is in the description for this podcast. All right. Without further ado, let's get into it. All right. A lot to cover this week, Colin. I mean, there's just so much happening. So much is happening. Every day I check Twitter and there's something new trending, let alone today, Elon walking into Twitter carrying a sink. Saying, let that sink in. I mean, this is madness. He's like memeing a whole company. He's like turning a whole company into a meme. So strange. Which is so odd. What world do we live in? What bizarro world do we live in? It would be like, I don't know. It's like a celebrity buying another celebrity's house or something. And then creating media about moving in and being like, I'm the new, Yeah, but I, I don't know. It's not like buying a house. It's like buying a city because we all occupy this place. True. You know, it's not like buying a house. That's a private place. This is a place that we all occupy. So I think it, it, it was like a very bizarre tweet to look at. And it's like, who knows what's next? And for, for the Twitter. most part with tech platforms, on a day-to-day basis, we don't necessarily care who's occupying the seat. No, but no. in this case, because he's a creator himself, it's like, oh, we're all at Elon's party. Yeah. We're in his house. We're yeah. in his neighborhood now. I think it's going to be so interesting when changes happen to the platform and he's the one telling us. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Let okay. alone if he lets go of 75% of the people there, like that's reported that may happen. Wow. Strange. Crazy. Strange crazy, times crazy, for Twitter. Crazy, crazy. All right. Well, who knows what's going to happen there, but we do have some predictions for the creator economy, Colin. Yes. Big predictions. So the team at the published press, along with ourselves, we have been working on a report for predictions for the creator economy. Burr, 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 a special report. I just wanted to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Didn't that feel good? Wouldn't that be cool? That would be cool. Nope. I mean, I guess when I say wouldn't that be cool, I guess I already did it. So was that cool? <laughs> you guys tell us. Okay. Back to what you were saying. Yeah. So we've been working on this for a long time. It is a special report for predictions for the creator economy that we have also for problems that mm-hmm. we've identified. Yeah. So in the report, we actually kind of map out what we identified as problems uh, in the industry from talking to creators and also experiencing it ourselves. And number one, the first thing that we talk about is creator burnout getting worse. Okay. First of all, if you want to check out this report, If you're already subscribed to our newsletter, The Published Press, you already got it in your inbox. If you're not subscribed, we'll put a link in this podcast description. It's thepublishedpress.com slash creator-economy-report. But it's also linked like on our Twitter and on my LinkedIn. And on my LinkedIn. But mainly on my LinkedIn. But also on my LinkedIn. Okay, which just look at my LinkedIn and you'll be able to see it. Um, and but, by that, Samir means <laughs> head over to my LinkedIn and you can see it. Okay. So you can click through it. If you're not subscribed to the press, it's also going to have a pop-up there that, that gets you subscribed. So you continue to get 
our emails, but that will also unlock the report for you so you can check it out. Um, but yeah, problem number one, we were talking about the, the concept of creator burnout getting worse. Burnout is always a topic of conversation in the world of creativity, but we're identifying and talking about like why and how it's actually worsening right now. And I, I think also from personal experience, it's something that feels like an overwhelming and inevitable thing that's happening. But I want to say we also offer our prediction on how it can get better. Yeah. And so. one of those is how we're going to try and combat it. So, you know, one of the first things that we talk about here is our prediction for, for next year. And I think it's already happening is creators moving to seasonality. Now, seasonality exists in most creative industries. Musicians write an album and then go on tour. Filmmakers shoot a movie, then promote it. Television directors make a season's worth of episodes, then release them. All periods of creative input have a start and an end date. And that right there was straight from the report. That was straight from the report, guys. That wasn't just off the dome. But yeah, that's what we're talking about. And Colin and I are exploring how next year in 2023, how do we turn the Colin and Samir show into something seasonal? You know, do we do a set of six interviews that we shoot all of them? Then we you imagine like we build a trailer for the Colin and Samir show season one. I don't even know if it'd be season one, but season one, 2023. And you see like six creators you can't wait to see. And you know, they're going to happen six weeks in a row. Season two, studio tours. Sure. Like six in a row, eight in a row. It's easier to package. It's easier to understand. And I think it's also easier on the creative mind. For us, Colin and I had coffee the other day and we were saying like, we think in projects. How do we brand this project? How do we do this project better? How do we, and, and it's hard when we're just living in this infinite pool of uploading, of just saying, well, I guess just we're continuing to upload. Yeah, because in that scenario, we're just drinking from a fire hose and right. we're always behind and yeah. we're just trying to get something out at all times. Right, and there's no world where we have a moment to stop and reflect. And I think that's a huge part of what creates burnout. I also think it minimizes our potential impact. Yeah. You know, if we're able to take some time and make six really, really impactful interviews that have graphics mm -hmm. and we've cut the story in a certain way, the intros are really dynamic. I think the impact is greater and the experience is better for the, for all of you yeah. who get six weeks in a row of really interesting, compelling interviews. Yeah. And I also like for me, the experience of our Hassan Minaj interview has been really interesting. The amount of feedback we've gotten that people really enjoyed that piece that it really changed their perspective. That for me is really exciting. And you and I sat next to each other and really worked on that piece, like dialed it into exactly how we wanted that to look, feel, be communicated. And that amount of time that we got to spend on that, I think is, is a, a large part outside of the fact that Hassan is just a really engaging storyteller. Um, that was really rewarding. And that's how I want 2023 to feel. Let alone, even in pre-production, we were able to do mm -hmm. days and days worth of research, of planning. Yeah. We did a pre-call. Mm -hmm. It's really respecting the process and respecting, you know, yeah. the, the interview that will live on our channel forever. It's not just dropping something and then moving on the next week to something else. This is something that's going to live forever and be seen by people for years and years to come. So, you know, selfishly, we want to make it as good as it can possibly be. And I think seasonality will yep. help that happen. And uh, we also have quotes and case studies from other creators in this report, especially around this. Um, and our prediction around how this is going to move forward beyond this. You know, creators might move to seasonality. How does that work when it comes to revenue 
And how does the kind of traditional agent manager talent system evolve? You know, with creators now. Let's not give too much away. All right, Colin, you're right. Because now we're just going down the list. All right, all right. Go get the report. Go read the report. You can find it on our LinkedIn's. As Mark Rober would say, there's a lot of juicy nuggets in there. He did say that. That's right. That's a segue. We went up and spent (laughs) some time with Mark Rober, uh, who, if you don't know, incredible YouTube creator, former NASA engineer, spent some time working at Apple, makes incredible videos. And he said to us many times, juicy nuggets. Yeah. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of juicy nuggets. There's a lot of juicy nuggets in, there. in this report. Hanging out at Mark Rover's studio was so cool and so inspirational. And just to come back to this concept of seasonality and, and just like minimizing output and increasing impact, Mark has put out seven videos this year. And I think they've all done over 50 million views. Is that right? No. 20 million? No. 10 million? Uh, well, it, it, so... If we just go down the line here, his most recent video only came out two days ago. It has 8.6 million views. Before that, a month ago, 28 million. Before that, four months ago, 18 million. Five months ago, 53 million. 22 million, 16 million. I mean, yeah, the guy doesn't miss. Okay. Out of 107 videos, which is the total amount of videos he's posted on his channel in the past seven years, he averages 27 million views per video. That's crazy. So he's able to like come up with these ideas and spend, I mean, his last squirrel video, if you haven't watched it, what a delight. It's such a fun video to watch, the Squirrel Olympics. That video took him what? He said four months Mm -hmm. and over 5,000 hours of footage. Over 1,000 hours of footage, over 100 hours of editing. That's crazy. Yeah. But it's really good. And it's really, really spectacular. And just like, you want to share it. Because it's so crazy. And it's not expensive. No, it's not. That's the interesting thing, right? You hear all this footage, all mm-hmm. the viewership that he gets, but he filmed it in his backyard Yeah, of the squirrels in his own backyard, you know, engineered an interesting maze for them basically to go through and just spent the time filming and crafting something really interesting. Listen, so it's about the hard work that he put in. It's not about the amount of money that he spent. Easy on the juicy nuggets. Like, let's let people watch these pieces of content when we put them out. We have an interview with Mark Rober Got coming it. soon. That was too a, juicy. A studio tour with Mark Rober. Yeah. You're going to learn a lot about him. I think he's he's one of the most inspirational people in our industry and a creator that we can all learn a lot from um, who's done just so much. There's juice all over the table. I'm sorry. Let me just clean this up. Uh, I apologize. One sec. I'm just going to say right now, I'm not going to react to that. I didn't like that at all. Uh, Oh, well, that's fine. I'm still cleaning it up. Yeah, so I didn't like it at carry all. Carry on. All right, let's get to the first question. This is from Allison <laughs> Freed. This is a submission from the published press. So Allison, thank you for subscribing to, our new, to the newsletter. What? 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 I just <laughs> lost me? I lost it. Allison, thank you for subscribing to the newsletter. And for anyone else who wants to submit a question, you can do it through the newsletter mm-hmm. at the bottom. Yeah, we have a reader submissions and yep. a questions place. All right. We would be very curious to hear the Colin and Samir take on YouTube's ad revenue falling 2% this past quarter, the first decline since 2020, and what that means for creators. YouTube AdSense is lauded? Lauded. Lauded as the safe, consistent revenue source, but have we tested that theory when the economy as a whole is down and ad spend from companies dries up? First off, it's amazing that someone would even say, YouTube AdSense is lauded as the safe, consistent revenue source because for years and years, that was not the narrative around YouTube AdSense, let alone I, I, during I'm going to say this right apocalypse. now. It's not the narrative. It's not the narrative. That's the first problem with, with this, this um, question. Or well, I would just say not the problem. I'll say my first take on this question is that YouTube AdSense is not 
necessarily a safe and consistent revenue source. It's quite the opposite. It can be, and times have been really good, Mm -hmm. right? Like the market has been, it's been a great time for creators. Yeah, but you don't have control over that. You you do not, as a creator, you have zero control over it. Like you really don't have control. And I I think that's an extremely important thing. When we first started, I remember we would sit in a room and talk about AdSense because we thought it was going to be a consistent and safe revenue source for us. And this is back in 2010. And because the type of content we were making was so niche, it wasn't. We barely made any money on AdSense. So then we started to look at it as the cherry on top. It was like, we're a media company. We have to go sell our media. We have to go figure out how to, how to monetize. And anything that happens with AdSense is extra. That's great. It'll just be happening in the background. That's how you and I have viewed it for the past 10 years. And I will continue to view it like that, even as our AdSense becomes more and more significant. I can't attach it to any part of our business. And that might sound crazy. Like there's a lot of creators who make a lot of money on AdSense. Mm-hmm. I watched this YouTube short where this creator, Jordan Welch, I think his name is, went up to different YouTubers at VidSummit and asked what their biggest AdSense check ever was. What's the most you've generated in a month from your YouTube channel? Oh man. Eric answered $458,000. For one month's for worth one month. of viewership. I mean, that's astronomical. One and month. There are creators who get a lot more than that. And when he came on our show, you know, this is when he first started out, when he had just under a million subscribers or maybe just over a million subscribers, he was doing 50 grand a month on AdSense. It's a lot of money. You know, the challenge for me is that I would say to you as a creator, if you, if you got a check that's, that's you know, $4,000 one month in AdSense money, even if you do the exact same amount of viewership the next month, it's not guaranteed you're making $4,000 that month. It's not. You have no control over that. So the first take on this is that AdSense should not be considered a consistent source of revenue. It can be, but you have to know that as a fact, it's not. Yeah. You don't have control over it. It has to do with factors that have to do with the YouTube algorithm, that have to do with advertisers spending their money on YouTube, that have to do with YouTube as a company, that have to do with how many people view your content, how many ad impressions, your RPM. Like It has to do with too many factors for you to try and connect consistency to it. It doesn't take anything away from AdSense. It is an amazing achievement that stands alone across all other social media platforms. Agreed. The fact that they are cutting creators' checks of the size that they are uh, so consistently, the fact that they cut those checks across so many different creators is unbelievable. And it does create life-changing $458,000 in one month for ARAC. That's Uh, crazy. From a mindset perspective, I agree with Samir. I wouldn't look at it as something that is a safe, consistent source of revenue, even though at many times it really is. So now YouTube's ad revenue dropping 2%, like let's all just also acknowledge how much change is happening in the creator economy. The fact that there's more places for advertisers to advertise. The fact that um, there was, you know, a pandemic that now has a ripple effect of the entire economy changing. The advertising budgets are going to be the first budgets to go. Advertising is not a necessity in a company. If companies are laying off people, like marketing and advertising is also going to go. And that's something that we're seeing right now. So 
recognize that, you know, that's going to also happen. That could happen in, in the creator economy. Also for your brand deals, um, as a whole, just be cautious of that. Um, and then I think, think about how, as we evolve into early next year, things are going to change again because shorts revenue is now a part of YouTube. Like things are going to look different. Mm -hmm. Advertisers might be more interested in short form vertical content, or they might be less interested. We don't know yet. We don't yeah. know yet what revenue is going to look like. A lot of changes are happening on the platform. You don't have control over it. So for us, when we look at our revenue, it skews much heavier towards brand partnerships. Yeah. Right. So for us right now, as we head into a potential recession, as ad dollars maybe get pulled, uh, I guess it's not even a potential recession, right? We are in a recession. I don't know, man. Everyone uses the word. I think I it's know. like self-perpetuating, like uh, the amount of people who say yeah. it. But I also have, I, don't ask me that question. I'm not the guy. I think Ask Graham Stephan so or something. For us in our business, it would be a lot more significant to lose brand partnerships at scale than it would be to lose percentages yes. of our, of yes. our ad sense. So mm -hmm. for us, you know, I think both you and I lately have been feeling a little bit of a kick in the ass of we have to, we have to continue to push the boundaries of what it means to integrate Brands. Uh, brands into mm -hmm. our content, you know, because that is the business. It's the core of our business right now. Yep. Uh, and to continue to take it really seriously and make sure that we're really delivering as we head into the next, you know, two years. Yeah. I mean, let's talk a little bit about AdSense. In September of this year, I think we had one of our best AdSense months ever. YouTube paid us $24,859.82. That's amazing. That's crazy. That's <laughs> to us, that's crazy on 6.4 yeah. million views. I mean, that is insane to me. There was a time where I couldn't have ever imagined that amount of money coming from YouTube. And one of the things I want to acknowledge also for creators when it comes to AdSense is that it's your highest margin advertising product, or it can be your highest margin advertising product because you aren't picking up the phone and pitching any of those brands. They're just automatically showing up on your channel because you're part of YouTube's partner program. So I would really acknowledge that that is such a gift of being a YouTube creator is the opportunity for AdSense, but don't peg your whole business to it and keep your expenses low. Keep your expenses low. Like as we enter into this ever-changing landscape, if you are a creator who exclusively makes money on AdSense or primarily makes money on AdSense, just make sure you're operating below your means and you're, you're operating in a place where if AdSense gets sliced in half, you're still okay. Like operate with that because that will give you some longevity. Um, but AdSense is really an amazing thing. Just don't connect your, your thought of like of safety, of consistency to AdSense. All right, what's next? All right, YouTube has a new look, Colin. This is a question from me to you. What do you think? I think it's sleek. Okay, let's explain. What's the, the new look? If you If you haven't noticed yet... What, what does YouTube look like now? All right. So if you're unfamiliar, basically YouTube as of last week had a lot of square edges, I guess, right? Harder corners right now. Everything's rounded. Even, mm -hmm. even the, the thumbnails now have rounded corners. YouTube thumbnails are now rounded. How crazy is that? So if you go to your YouTube homepage, you'll notice rounded corners. They've probably been looking at the published press. I think they have. Because our published press graphics are all rounded corners and they look really similar. It's at the forefront of, you know, user interface, interface design, UX, UI. UI, X. Are terms that people 
say. Yes, that's right. Um, so they also changed the color of the subscribe button to black. That was something that personally I don't like. I think the subscribe button should remain red. Yeah, now the only thing on the screen when you look at YouTube that's red mm -hmm. is the YouTube logo up top. And yep. I feel like it was really symbolic that Agreed. the YouTube logo was red and the subscribe button was red. Yeah. Platform and creator both have that, that attention-grabbing color that signifies the brand. And now we don't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe, yeah. it, maybe it signifies that, that subscribers are not as important as they used to be. I don't know. I think it's probably just like more modern, sleek design. I don't know. I mean, they had to change at some point out, right? They had to evolve at some point. The thing that I've noticed is that every time YouTube has changed their look, I've been uncomfortable and unhappy, and then I forget about it within a week, and it becomes normal. I don't know. I think we start a petition. Bring back the red subscribe button. It's something that I call the hot tub effect. Let me explain. The hot tub effect is, think about yourself getting into a hot tub, and it's too hot. No, I know where you're going. And it's too hot. And at first you put a foot in and you're like, wow, that is too hot. I could never imagine sitting in this hot tub. It's uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you slowly get in, you want me to guess where sit this is down going? and your body just kind of all of a sudden feels comfortable in this hot water that you didn't think you were going to feel comfortable. Wow. Did in anyone before. see that coming? Who was listening? A lot of people are going to say that's the first time they've heard about the hot tub effect. Okay, tag me on yeah, yeah, yeah just definitely. Tag me on Twitter or LinkedIn if you're like, hey, the hot tub effect was dope. Colin's wrong. I just want to say, take that yeah. into other situations in your life. If it at first feels uncomfortable, no, I think, think about right. the hot tub effect. Things that are different are strange, and then they're no longer different. That's it's more about the hot tub <laughs> effect. All right, this comes from Nolan. He submitted this through the published press as well. Said, I've seen a lot of videos where creators briefly disclose the video sponsor near the beginning, but then the actual ad integration is close to the end of the video. Why is this? Is this an FTC thing or perhaps a request from the brand? Um, the answer is this actually is an FTC thing. A lot of times in an ad integration, um, you need to mention that the video is sponsored within the first 30 seconds. You don't necessarily have to do the sponsorship integration, but you have to mention that it's sponsored. And there's there's a variety of these types of sponsorships. It's either the whole video is sponsored or like you guys called out like our, our video with the Retin Link, uh, which was sponsored by Artlist. A portion of the video is sponsored by the advertiser. So a lot of times you'll hear it in the first 30 seconds. That is because the FTC requires that you disclose it um, up top. But there's so many different types of ad integrations now that this happens in, in different ways and, and different rules and regulations around them. Yeah, but the overall idea here is that, you know, the FTC doesn't want the advertising to go unnoticed. It yes. can't be deceptive. You yes. need to know that you're watching something that has been sponsored that is an ad. Yes, that that someone has paid you for. Yeah. That's that's what's important. Mm -hmm. All right. From Reddit. From our subreddit, Colin. Oh, okay, from the Reddit. Yeah, from our subreddit. From new new data on attention span. I was watching Atrioc must be a YouTube channel. I was watching Atrioc, and in today's video, he quickly covered the topic of new data regarding the intention span of mobile users, aka the majority of content consumers. According to Four's Marsh group test hosted by Facebook, on average, the time it'll take to hook in a viewer on mobile content is 1.7 seconds, while 2.5 seconds on desktop. Here's the link to Atrioc's video where he covers it more. That's pretty interesting. You know what, though? Not that surprising to me. It's actually longer than I thought. 
Is that crazy? Yeah, I mean, we make decisions in a split second. What even is a title and a thumbnail? Why do we have them? You're scrolling so that you can make a split second decision. Yeah, that's crazy. And it's not split second though. It's 1.7 seconds, Colin. There you go. Yeah, on mobile. Um, I do think that's interesting that like the majority of content is consumed on mobile now. And that, that's a significant difference between 1.7 seconds and 2.5 seconds. That's so significant. And thinking about the, like how people are operating on their phones, you do have to hook someone significantly. And actually, when you think about titles and thumbnails, it is how the titles and the thumbnails played together. Mm-hmm. A title and thumbnail I really loved this week was from Veritasium. Pull it up right now. It's, it's, uh, it's a video. Okay, it's called How Dangerous is a Penny Dropped from a Skyscraper? I saw this and it says thumbnail. On the thumbnail, it says, we tested it and it's New York City with a hand and a penny. I absolutely love this combination. It made me so curious. And then it opens and immediately it's like a penny falling from a skyscraper. It's an immediate release. Yeah, immediate release. The way that the title thumbnail is, it almost makes you feel like by clicking, you are in control of dropping the penny from the skyscraper. I love that. That's so satisfying. All you need to do is click and they'll drop the the penny. That's so satisfying. I love that feeling of a freeze frame of motion of something that has kinetic energy that you can click on that's going to like you just mentioned, like you have control over it. But what I love is that the title is different from the thumbnail. Mm -hmm. Like the thumbnail is actually can stand in isolation. It's a penny, like clear, super high up in New York city. And it says we tested it or I can, I can gather what that is, but then you, the first two, the first two words, how dangerous, right? And so immediately, even if, if that's all of I see, is, is a penny from really high up and it says, how dangerous I'm already intrigued. And then you get the rest. How dangerous is a penny drop from a skyscraper? This to me is the perfect example of a curiosity gap where it's just like, I need to know, I need to know how dangerous it is because it's also something that I was told as a kid is like the most dangerous thing ever. And I just want to know, I want to know, have to click it. I think if I'm making a 1.7 second decision there, I'm clicking. And I did click the, Thing I will also say, Colin. Yes. You and I. Uh huh. I just want to make this abundantly clear. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people look at us as YouTube experts. We're not good at titles and thumbnails. I'd say we're bad. We're bad. Yeah. We're bad. We repeat the story in the title and in the thumbnail. We're just ba- we're just not good at it. Yeah. I don't know why. We just can't solve it. Can't figure it we out. Can't solve it. So. Because of that, I would love to go to a title thumbnail boot camp. Like, I feel like I need to go two weeks into the woods, you know, like a training montage in Does an it action have to movie be in the woods. Yeah. Okay. You know, like a training montage in an action movie where it's like, you're like chopping logs yeah. and like, imagine we're like carving thumbnails into, into trees. That sounds you, like it'd take a while. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like, that's what we need, like an immersive title thumbnail experience. Do I need to have any sort of upper body strength for this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But I'd imagine you do because we have a trainer. Shout That's out, true. Devin. Um, I'd imagine you do. Um, but I do want to say last week we talked about a bunch of different roles and like the definition of jobs in the creator economy. The job we are now we just hired for is like a thumbnail strategist, packaging strategist. And I think what would be really cool is if we film some of our experience of transforming our thumbnails. Like yep. now that we're going to start working with a packaging and kind of YouTube strategist. How are we going to transform? How does our click-through rate transform? How do our ideas transform? How does this all change? 
coming back to this concept that people are making a decision in 1.7 seconds, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's the ultimate storytelling constraint. Yeah. You get one frame, you get the title, that's it. All right. An interesting stat that came out last okay. week. Yeah, hit me. Google said that YouTube usage on TV sets is up 70% over the last year. And I think it was above like Netflix, HBO Max. When it came to what people actually use to watch on their TVs, YouTube was above those platforms. That's crazy. Which is really interesting. That's I watch crazy. a lot of YouTube Me too. on my TV. I watch a lot of YouTube, period. Um, <laughs> Not a surprise, I guess, to anyone listening, but... Yeah, I don't actually watch it on my TV. Really? Yeah. It's a jarring experience for me. But don't you have YouTube TV? Yeah, but I use that to watch sports, Colin. On your phone? I do watch sports on my phone, but I watch YouTube TV on my TV. But I watch TV through YouTube TV. I don't watch YouTube videos. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not watching Casey Neistat on my TV. See, I am. I'm not. It freaks me out. Mm. It's too big of a screen. <laughs> I watch I watch majority of my content on my phone. Like even I even watch Netflix on my phone. So majority of stuff I'm watching on my phone. Occasionally I'll watch my TV. But I gotta say right now, this this might be the fact that I'm getting older. Do but I, do I feel a gripe coming on? You know what? I'll pair a gripe with this. Okay. I feel like I'm going long right now, um, just in general on different topics. But I guess you guys are here for this, so. Buckle up. That's what I would say. Uh, what I would say right now is that when I come home from work, because I've been looking at screens so much, I found a new source of entertainment. Katie and I, Katie's my wife, we go on walks. Is that the most like, are we getting old? Because like I literally come home and we go on an hour long walk. And, and this, this is yeah, like- That's not, not new to me because Madeline and I have a dog. Uh, so yeah, we walk yeah. the We dog. don't have a dog, yeah. 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 So just a, just a walk, like a human walk. Human walk. Yeah. Is like one foot after the other. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And just, just looking around, no screens. We just walk and look around and talk and no dog and no dog. Interesting. We do crack some cold ones. LaCroix, those, that, that's what I'm talking about. We crack two LaCroix and go on a walk. Great. Okay. Let's talk about Kanye West. Did you have a gripe there or, um, <laughs> or no? No, no. The gripe will come. I, I feel like right now is not a good time for the gripe. Okay. Um, okay. Kanye West, because I brought up Casey Neistat. Um, and Kanye has been all over social media, dominating headlines, conversation, really strange week. You know, to just, just react to this massive cultural figure, you know, saying very hateful things, spewing like anti-Semitic comments, racist comments, just like, such a odd thing to witness and to take over our feeds and then to take it a step further and see people take action and go out here in LA above the 405 freeway with a sign that says Kanye was right. Like the whole thing is so absurd and terrible and a terrible use of a platform. It's, it's awful. And I find it extremely hard to articulate my thoughts in moments like this, or even mm -hmm. know how do we use social media Same. to express ourselves when something like this happens. Yeah. And, and even some hesitation for me around sharing just what everyone else is sharing about supporting my Jewish friends and family. I mean, my wife is Jewish. Majority of my friend, all of my friends are Jewish. I'm half Jewish. You're half Jewish. Yep. Um, you know, like how do you, 
how do you use social media to, to, you know, speak out and articulate your thoughts? And I think Casey Neistat did an, did a very good job articulating yeah, um, he, his he, feelings towards this. And, and I think because long form, in my opinion, is the right way to talk about some of these things because it's nuanced and it's specific to yeah. everyone's experience. You know, in Casey's video, it is a roller coaster of ups and downs of, you know, why he's personally affected by the things that Kanye has said. And that's a mix of, you know, his religious background, his family, but also the experience he's had with Kanye in person, meeting him mm -hmm. and his experience being a fan of his work. And I, I think sometimes reacting to these things, for me, I'm more interested in 10 to 12 minutes sinking in to sort of understand how someone's been impacted or their, their viewpoint. Mm -hmm. I find Instagram stories specifically to be a strange place for me to consume activism or even like a lot of personal opinion because it feels so cyclical and of the moment where yeah. it's okay. Everyone's here for Ukraine. Okay. Everyone's here for women in Iran. Yeah. Okay. And now Kanye is at the top of trending. So everyone's here uh, speaking out against Kanye and it can feel like sometimes the format of the delivery can devalue the emotion and the hurt mm -hmm. and the hope of the impact that someone wants to have. Agreed. In my opinion, Agreed. I can think it can feel strange on Instagram stories. And I appreciate sitting down with someone in a YouTube video. Hearing the nuance. Hearing the nuance. Hearing the complexity, yeah. And I even spent time because we've been really busy the past two weeks uh, when, you know, Kanye has been on this tear and been all, on all these different platforms, podcasts, and all the news has been coming out. And I finally, a couple of days ago, had a chance to actually sit and like hear what he was saying in firsthand in some of his interviews. Um, and even that has more of an impact. Mm -hmm. Sitting and I, I listened to him on a, on a podcast for 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes. And, and I can finally sit there and feel that hatred as it's coming out of his mouth, as yeah. opposed to seeing a headline. Like right. I think that the length of time that you give to some of these topics for me specifically is really important. I think the, um, the, the snippets that everyone's getting is it, it is really challenging to develop like a full opinion on everything. And, and, and I think even worse that people who are looking for permission to act on their feelings of, of hatred or, um, feelings of, of, of anti-Semitism or, or racism feel a sense of, of permission based on just even hearing a small snippet of what Kanye says, or just that a cultural icon like him is using his platform to say things like that. Like overall, I think it is what, what Casey did sitting down and having that conversation for, for 13 minutes unedited. Um, I do think that offers the opportunity for, for discourse and like, it is a conversation starter what Casey did. Um, and I hope that as creators, I think that's the, the direction and the path is to create discourse and to offer opinion. I really don't know. You know, I felt if I'm being hundred percent honest, I feel still confused if we're supposed to post on Instagram, you know, about our reaction or, or that we support, you know, our friends and family, um, you know, who are Jewish. I really, I, I can't put it together in my head, how, how you're supposed to react to this. Like, does it say more if you don't post something like that? Is it, is it, it to me, it feels a little bit like social media activism. I don't know, you know, yeah. what, what, how, what the right path is 
And watching Casey for me was the first version of it in this specific instance where I'm like, that's, you know, that, that feels right to me. That feels like a good starting point. Or when Marquez made a video during the Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. where he's, the video was titled reflecting on the color of my skin, where he's talking about his personal experience. I think perspective is, is what is really helpful when things like this happen, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's hard to get perspective in short snippets of Instagram stories. Agreed. So I'd be curious to hear other people's thoughts on, you know, how we as creators can, can use our platforms. Um, in this instance, you know, I know that it's been really interesting to see how all the different platforms are reacting to this, um, specifically Spotify kind of coming out and saying they, they're, they're not doing anything. They're not going to remove, um, Kanye's catalog and, um, saying that, you know, obviously what he said is, is, is terrible and that goes against Spotify's policies, but his music does not go against Spotify's policies. Complex situation, you know? Yeah. I mean, we were at a burger place yesterday and they were playing his music for everyone there in public and it's strange timing for it. Super complex, super complex. All right, let's get into some more creator specific questions. Um, This says, with the recent push for less spectacle and more story, meaning less fast paced editing and more slow paced editing, I've started to slow the pace and decrease the amount of edits in my videos and focus more on story. How do I transition from fast-paced videos to slightly slower videos with my audience is used to those quick cuts and flashy graphics? This question comes from Seth. Good question, Seth. Yeah, I would say that as much as you may think your audience is there for quick cuts and flashy graphics, anyone can do quick cuts and flashy graphics. So there must be something about the stories that you're telling within that that are keeping people watching Mm -hmm. or else they just wouldn't watch in general. If there's no story and we're cutting it up real fast... It's just annoying and it's not, it feels like a waste of your time and it's not leading you anywhere. So I wouldn't worry too much about moving away from, you know, quick cuts and tons of graphics. I would just continue to put an emphasis as you're doing on making sure that there's a story there. You know, if Mm -hmm. you, if you were to tell someone the story of your video in person to a group of friends, do they have a reaction? Just an immediate gut check. To some of your friends, is it interesting what you're talking about? Is it interesting the thing that you're going to do? I think that's a really good place to start. If it is, don't worry about how quickly you're going to cut it or the graphics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also story is what keeps someone watching, yeah. period. You know, Mark Robert does a really good job just to bring, he's top of mind because we just visited him. He does a really good job of keeping your attention and his voiceover isn't like crazy fast paced. The cuts aren't that crazy. It's just good storytelling. It's interesting things that you're like, yeah, I want to know what happens next. And I think you should really stress test this when it comes to telling stories to other people or continuing to experiment on YouTube. I also think that YouTube as a whole is going to swing back in that direction where, you know, I want to watch creators like Ludwig just turn on the camera and talk. Like what Ludwig's doing on Mogul Mail, he's literally just flipping on the camera and talking. What Casey just did, what we just talked about, his reaction video, he just flipped on the camera and talked. And I want to hear what he has to say next. And, and a lot of that is his style of speaking, his style of storytelling. And that's what I would hope is how all creators are thinking is storytelling above all. Like, how are you opening the video? What's your opening line? What's the hook? That's going to keep something moving and fast and, and, uh, keep my attention more than just throwing 
big yellow text at me, like flying off the screen. Yeah, I think Shelby Church put out a video that we were just watching right before this titled, My Airbnb Lost Money, Here's the Truth. Right. That's so interesting. If you don't know, yeah. you know, she, uh, you know, bought a house in Palm Springs, turned it into an Airbnb, and she tracked the whole process on her channel. And now this video comes out. Mm -hmm. I'm immediately hooked, and I'm interested by the title. And when you click on it, it's not cutting like crazy to like B-roll shots of the house. She's just sitting there, and she's telling you pretty much the story mm -hmm. of what happens. And I will watch until I finish that story of what was given in the title thumbnail. All right. Can I give you my gripe now? Yes, please. Okay. So as an adult, it's hard to have a lot of social plans, especially as an entrepreneur or as a creator. Now, one thing that happens often as an adult is as we move into different homes, as we, you know, start to, you know, grow, you'll meet someone or you'll see, reconnect with someone and they'll, they'll say, yeah, we just moved to a new house. Come over anytime. Mm-hmm. Hey, we should get lunch. Yeah, I'm free. Anytime. Let's do it. Anytime. Smear. Anytime doesn't make any sense. Okay. I agree with you. Anytime's not going to happen. We have to, we have to now move <laughs> this culture into saying, hey, how's next Friday night? Does that work? No. Okay, cool. Let's both get out our calendar apps or let's create some scenario where we can figure out what day works if we're being serious. You've done this to me. You moved into a new house. Come over anytime. I know. I, what does that even mean? I'm not going to. Anytime is not a time. <laughs> you throw out the first date. That's not, that's not odd. Throw it out. When you, you invited free? me. When are you free? Let me check my calendar. Yeah. See, this is the activity that needs to happen. Let's do this live. When are you free? Hold on. I'm yeah, Colin hasn't seen my new house. For, for all of those who think that we live in bunk beds together, we actually we hang out all the time. That we don't. And yeah. he well, we do hang out. Well, we're together all the time. We're, we're not together. hanging out. This isn't hanging out. This is not hanging out. This is not fun. There's no hanging. <laughs> we are inside. <laughs> okay, let's take a look at these um, calendars. Well, no, yeah, I got yeah. a lot of things going on in November. Dude, actually. we haven't even played tennis. I know. Which is crazy. Yeah. Okay. You beat me last time, barely. All right. Um, uh, November 10th. Just going to throw it out. Sounds like I can't do it. Oh, that's a Thursday. Yeah. So I'd come over on a Thursday night. What's wrong with a Thursday night? Okay. Yeah. Friday. Okay. Fine. Right. Yeah. Fine. Fr fine. What fine. about, what about this call? Friday, December 9th. See, that's a date. Okay. Let's put it. I'm, I'm tentative hold in, in my calendar right okay. now. Great. See you in a month and a half. Okay, cool. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, we'll plug in Marilyn who runs everything here at Colin and Smear and she'll, she'll remind us. I'll invite her as well so that she can. Wow. So we have a scheduled, we're going to hang out. Yeah, we're going to hang out. That's cool. December 9th. That might be the first time we've hung out in years. Hopefully meaning we, like hung out. Hopefully we have something to talk about. We're just going to talk about work. <laughs> I don't know. Although our partners will not be happy. No. Uh, yeah. My wife will not be happy if we just. Maybe we can work. talk about sports. Yeah. We'll not talk about that. Okay. Let's prepare to talk about sports on December 9th. Uh, okay, cool. Put that in the Cal invite, please, Colin. Yep. Okay. Okay. All right. Should we do one final question? I have no idea how long we've been podcasting. If you're still with us, thank you. All right. Here's a question. God, there's a lot, a lot of good questions here. Hmm. How do we pick a good one? Ah, I want to answer them all. I'm going to read this while you look for one. So each of us gets one. Okay. Okay. So this yours this is the one on the way. Yep. Mine's the one on the way. This is Evan Sadler. He says, hi, first of all, your newsletter on Bill C11 was fantastic, but as a Canadian creator, now I have some concerns. I'm a Canadian YouTuber in Canada, but I make Japanese content. Is this bill going to prioritize recommending my videos to Canadians rather than my core audience in Japan? I actually had this problem in TikTok. At first, 
filling my inboxes with confused English comments. Even though I've been blessed with a large audience, if my content stops being recommended to the right audience, I know that's going to lead to problems. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Thank you so much for the work you do. Well, I appreciate that, Evan. Um, Evan is referencing an issue of our newsletter, The Published Press, where our writer, Hannah, actually got to speak with the team at YouTube and better understand Bill C-11, which is a um, bill that's going on in Canada that's essentially pushing to have Canadian YouTube fall under the same guidelines as the Canadian Radio and Television Committee, the CRTC. And essentially, they would have more control over who is fed what content in Canada. And their goal would be to make sure that that the content that is fed to people who are watching in, in Canada is suitable for Canadians. That's a really big deal. It's the first time where there would be like a government that is, um, you know, in control or has some say in how YouTube content is recommended to people. Really big deal. I don't know the answer to your question. I was going to say, if you had the answer to this one. I don't know. Your, I don't know the answer to the question, but um, I would... I would, I don't know. I don't know the answer to this question. I would actually go and, you know, go back to that email, reply to, to Hannah um, from the published press and that she might have a follow-up conversation with YouTube and she might be able to get that answered and we can put it into one of our issues of the published press. So if you are subscribed to the newsletter, that's one of the perks. Feel free to reply, ask a question and it's possible we might follow up on it, but that's a really good question. I just wanted to provide some context onto what Bill C-11 is. If you don't know, check out our archive in the published press, news.thepublishedpress.com, and you can find that issue of the press to learn more about C11. All right, our actual final question. Here we go. It's titled, I have no time to make videos, but I have an itch to make them. I'm a college student at a pretty difficult school. Large portion of my time goes to doing homework and studying for exams. The issue I have is that I'm someone who needs a creative outlet, and I've always wanted to start a YouTube channel. My question is, how should I go about carving out time to create? Question. Now, this is coming from someone, me, who is not a very good student. So take this with a grain of salt. Can you double dip on the time that you are studying and doing homework, film yourself doing it, and then recount your day, day in the life of a college student? Can you at least start like that, where what you are doing, you just introduce a camera to it, and then do voiceover, cut it naturally in the app, whether shorts, TikTok, um, Instagram reels, like cut the content just within the app, put a voiceover on it and start exploring how you can cover what you're already doing. So it's not like, here's my homework time and here's my video time, set up a camera while you're doing homework, you know, and cover your day. I, I think a lot of people who are in college are interested in other people in college. Um, college YouTubers, college creators are massive so explore that. That's, that would be my recommendation is like, can you just layer on top video onto what you're already doing? There's going to be post-production time that you're going to have to carve out. You're going to have to stay up later, wake up earlier, but can you just cover what you're already doing? Here's a challenge to you. Can you make a 60 second video over the weekend, every weekend for a month? So four videos. That's good. 60 seconds long. Four minutes of content. Four minutes of content. And you can upload them to YouTube Shorts, TikTok. They can be vertical. I think you can do it. I think there's enough time. It's a good challenge. It's a good challenge. But yeah, I think, I think look at what you're already doing. See if you can cover that. All right. That's that, it. That's got to be it. I don't have any gripes today. You don't have a single gripe, man? I had a gripe with you and your gripe. 
Yeah, but that's, you, that doesn't work, you're man. Guilty you gotta, you gotta have your own gripes, dude. Get but your own that's gripes. It. My gripe now is, is that you don't have your own gripes. Um, all right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Colin and Samir and creator support. If you are interested in what we were talking about, our four predictions for the creator economy, that report is live. You can check it out. Those links are on our Twitter. Uh, it's on our LinkedIn's. Check it out. We will pin it to our Twitter so that it's easy for you to find. We'll also put it in our link in bio, um, our link pop link. Uh, check that out. Would mean a lot to us if you even just give it a read. Let us know what you think. All right, we'll see you next week. Right.